You, you know, it didn't look like it was 170 degrees, did it? Everybody looks refreshed and calm, and it was a great week. Thank you for praying for us at student camp this past year. It was an August morning in New Orleans, and Melvin Hitchens went out on his front porch to read his Bible for the morning. He sat down on the front porch and opened his Bible to have his morning devotion. His next-door neighbor, Daryl Jett, was mowing the yard. Now, Melvin and Daryl had some words in previous days past about, about their lawns. Don't know what happened, but one word led to another. And Melvin put down his Bible, stormed into the house, got a 45 caliber handgun, came out and shot Daryl in the chest. Daryl's wife, Donna, was sweeping the, the, the sidewalk, and she yelled, and he shot her too. Killed Donna, Daryl survived. But I read that story, and I thought, what takes you from reading the Bible in your morning devotion? One moment. To being charged with murder and attempted murder the next moment. Well, Melvin Hitchens lost his temper. We're into week number two of a five-week sermon series in Proverbs entitled Design, How to Build Your Life from the Proverbs. And in looking at it, we're going to see five major themes that run throughout the Proverbs. And these five themes play a vital role in, in designing your life. We're looking at one theme per Sunday. Last Sunday, we looked at the tongue and the words that you say define who you are. And today, we're looking at your temper, your anger. Read with me chapter 16 of the Proverbs, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. We're, we're told there, whoever is patient, slow to anger, is better than the strong man, literally is what it means. And he who rules his spirit, controls his spirit, is better than that who captures a city. Now, last Sunday morning, we talked about a concept in, the he in Hebrew uh, known as chokmah. You may remember, C-H-O-K-M-A-H. Hebrews talked about it back in biblical times. They still talk about it even today. You go to Israel, you hear about chokmah. Chokmah is translated several different ways. It's translated as wisdom, and that word runs all the way through Proverbs. But in English, it's closer to the word skill, S-K-I-L-L. -L. So, in other words, chokmah is, is the design of life. Hebrews believe that there is, God created this orderliness to the universe. Now, the Greeks didn't believe that. They were very philosophical and theoretical. But the, but the Hebrews thought there is an orderliness, a design to life. And, and God designed it in such a way that, that here are principles as to how to live a life well designed, a life lived for God. Now, our culture doesn't believe in Hokmah. We just believe you do you. Whatever works for you, whatever gender, whatever orientation, now you do you, God will bless you for being you. 
we're kind of the opposite of Hokmah. Hokmah is the concept that God has a design and a blueprint. And they revere that word Hokmah in Israel. Uh, we have a young man who's visiting our church. In fact, he, he may, I don't see him this morning. Uh, may be here, but he, he's a student at the University of Michigan. He's in Dallas for um, a summer internship, and so he's coming to our church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And last Sunday morning, after I explained Hokmah, he's originally from Egypt, and he came up and said, you know, in the Arabic language, we have the exact same concept. It's called Hekmah. And it literally is exactly what you said. It's a reverence for the orderly of life, and you design your life in such a way to live it in the best possible way that God designed. It's the same concept. And so all the way through, we have this blueprint. In the blueprint, what's there? How do you live a life well? Well, last week it was your tongue, and this week it's your anchor. All through the Bible, anger was a problem. Cain got angry at his brother in Genesis 4 and killed him. Joseph's brothers got angry with Joseph, threw him in a well, and sold him to the travelers. Uh, Moses got angry at a rock and struck it and was denied going into the promised land. Saul got angry at David, threw a spear at him. Asa became enraged in 2 Chronicles 16. Mordecai was angry in the book of Esther. Jonah got angry because God saved the Ninevites. And you keep going on and on and on. Jesus preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. And the people got angry and tried to throw him over a cliff. And the religious leaders... Well, they did kill him. And then in the book of Acts, the religious leaders, they, they were angry at the apostles in chapter 5, and they were angry in chapter 7 with Stephen. Anger has been a problem all throughout Scripture. And anger is still a problem in our homes and in our churches today. I would venture to guess in a congregation this size, we have those here that your temper is an issue and it's affecting your marriage it's affecting your parenting it's affecting your kids it's affecting your friendships your job your hobbies and for some people we we never see the real them at church we see the Oh, everything's fine, everything's happy. Oh, life is good at church. But the people in your homes, your family sees your outburst and your anger and your rage and your, your temper. And it's a problem. I've been in churches before where one or two people try to run the church. And if you cross them, boy, they explode. They red in the face, and you're going, whoa. So they keep control. I've seen business meetings. I've seen deacons meetings where people stand up and just yell, red in the face, explode. You're going, whoa. So it's a problem in the church as well. Some of you get so angry at the Democrats, you can't see straight. 
so angry at CNN and their biased news and fake news, and some of you get so angry at the Republicans, you, oh, it just consumes you, Fox News. And Proverbs says, if you don't get a hold of your anger, it'll destroy you. So I want us to look this morning. What does Proverbs say? How do you live a life well with your spirit? 26 times in the book of Proverbs, the word anger is used. 26 times. Last Sunday, we saw the tongues mentioned 31. So if the Bible says something once, it's, it's important. But if it says something 26 times in the same book, it's trying to get a message across to us. I'm not going to look at all 26 times, but I do want to look quickly at 10 passages. Because in these 10 verses, it shows us what anger does to us. Let's look, and then we'll close. First of all, the first result of anger, number one, anger causes you to act like a fool. It does. Anger causes you to act like a fool. Look at chapter 14, verse 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Now, in the Hebrew, it's really interesting because the word temper there, a man of quick temper, is the word, Hebrew word ap, A-P, and it literally means nostrils. In fact, it's translated 13 times in the Old Testament just as nostrils. It's the picture of you're being so angry your nose is flaring. So angry that your nostrils show it. A man with flaring nostrils deals in folly is literally what the Hebrew says. And a hot temper can make you do some foolish things. Makes you hit somebody. Makes you hit a glass and break it. Makes you hit a wall and put a hole in it. Foolish things. Makes you say hurtful things and foolish things. Anger. Makes you look like a fool. Thomas Harbin wrote a book, 2018. Actually, he edited it in 2018. He had written it earlier. Thomas Harbin, the psychologist, named the book is Beyond Anger. And he did research and study among those prisoners in prison who were there for murder and assault. And he showed that a majority of them are there not because they premeditated their act in a fit of rage. They committed it. And they're sorry now. They regret it. They're not there because they planned it. They're there because they got so mad about something, they lashed out and they assaulted somebody enough to go to prison or they killed them. Most of them in prison. Makes you act like a fool. Number two, verse 29 of chapter 14, anger makes you lack understanding. Anger makes you lack understanding. Look at this verse. 
You'll see it on the screen. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger has much understanding, but he who has a hasty, the word hasty there means short. Those with short tempers raise up folly. The word understanding there is interesting, has great understanding. It's the word in Hebrew of taboon. It literally means intelligence. Or it also can be translated skill. Have you ever thought that living life well is a skill? And so the word means skill. It means understanding. So whoever has a quick temper is not thinking. That's what the passage literally means. A hot temper makes you do things that look like you're not very smart. Now, we have some smart people. You're an educated congregation. Many of you have degrees and master's degrees and doctorate degrees and PhDs. And many of you have those in our congregation. We're a smart congregation, but, but your temper can make you look like you don't know much. Because we fly off the handle and do some outrageous things. Number three. Anger causes you to act shamefully. Chapter 14, verse 35. Anger causes you to act shamefully. Look at verse 35. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. The word shameful there, Hebrew is boosh. It means to feel shame, to feel disappointment, to feel regret. Benjamin Franklin said what ends, starts with anger usually ends with shame. He's right. How many times have you done something, you've lashed out, you're, you're, something's broken, somebody, you, you, you really rake somebody over the coals with your tongue, something happens and you look back and you go, wow, I regret doing that. I feel shame for that. I feel remorse. I feel regret and disappointment that I did that, that I said that. I feel so ashamed. But you turn right around and do it the next time you get angry. Turn right around and do it again. It causes you to be shameful. Number four, what does anger do? It stirs up strife. Chapter 15, verse 18. Anger stirs up strife. Look what it says in verse, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Now, the word hot-tempered here, used several times, it's the word hema, H-E-M-A, and it means hot, like the sun's hot. It means to rage. It can mean poison. It means to boil. A lot of images to the word hema. A hema man stirs up strife. It means contention, discord, brawling. But he who is slow to anger quiets, the word means Put something to rest. Quiet's contention. So, so notice the extremes. If you have a quick temper and you're hot-tempered, something's always boiling and contentious and discord and strife. On the other hand, if you're slow to anger and you control your spirit, it calms things down. 
You see the contrast? You know some people, this is their life. They live in that. And you know other people, they're calmers. This is their world. And Proverbs says you're wise if this is your world. You're foolish if that's your world. In Roman mythology, Hercules was the strongest man. He was in, in Greek mythology, there's a fable, or rather, a Roman mythology, there's a fable. And that Hercules is walking on a path. And as he's walking, he encounters this menacing, strange-looking animal. Didn't know what it was. And it started to attack him. And he reared back his club and he beat it to death. He thought, oh my goodness, I don't know what that was. But he kept going. And then he saw another one even bigger. And his anger took his club and beat it again. And, and, and kept going and killed it. And kept going. And then there was one even larger. He, once again, anger took his club and he beat it to death. And he's going and he is frustrated. He's walking and he meets a traveler going the other way. And he stops and says, sir, excuse me, have you seen these animals along the path? He said, oh, yeah, I've seen them. He said, what are they? He said, oh, that's, that's strife. And as long as you beat it, it's going to get larger and keep coming at you. But if you just leave it alone, it goes away. And you don't see it anymore. And so that was the fable from Roman mythology. And hundreds of years before that, Proverbs said the same thing. A hot-tempered man's always going to have strife around him. But he who puts to rest the contention is wise. Number five. Chapter 19, verse 11. Anger causes you to lack good sense. Look at verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. The word good sense there, sekel in Hebrew, literally means prudence or insight. So insight makes you defer anger. And it is to your glory. The word there literally means a beautiful garment or fine jewels. It is to your glory to overlook what somebody has done to you. Have you ever done this? After a fit of anger, have you ever looked back at what you did and go, you know, that was just poor judgment. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? That was just lacking good sense. By the way, at the halfway point here at number five, did you notice something? Did you notice that all of these characteristics about anger, none of them resemble God? You notice that? None of them resemble God's characteristics or attributes. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's compassionate. None of what's said about anger is said of God. When you're angry, you don't look like God. Number six. Anger brings consequences. Chapter 19, verse 11. Anger brings consequences. Look at verse 19. 
A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. And if you deliver him, you'll only have to do it again. That's pretty wise. That's, those are wise words, aren't they? Uh, it says here, a, a man of great wrath. There's that word hemog in hot, boiling, poisonous, will bear the penalty. And if you deliver him, the word deliver in Hebrew literally means pay the fine. If you pay his fine, he'll do it again. And again. And again. Every time you blow up, you lose your temper, there are consequences to pay. Now, in, uh, in full disclosure, um, I used to have a terrible temper. And in full disclosure, I, I was angry as a child. I was angry as a teenager. I was angry. And I lived every one of these Proverbs. I'd get mad. I would oh, get red in the face and clench my teeth. I'd hit something. I'd throw something. I'd break something. And I would storm around. I did that until I was 19. And I had an excuse. Um, it's genetic. You see, my family did that. And the generation before did that. And the generation before them, my grandparents, they did that. Because you see, we're Irish. And well, that's just who I am. We explode. And that's what I said. And every time I did, I paid the penalty. I played basketball in high school and, and a lot through the years. I can't tell you how many technical fouls I got. Blow up and say something and curse. And boy, my coach got so frustrated with me. I always paid the penalty. And I'm, I'm sharing with you today what I have experienced. I acted foolish. But I'd do it again. Number seven. Anger makes you difficult to live with. Chapter 21, verse 19. Anger makes you hard to live with. Look what it says. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Okay, I think that's all I'm going to say about that one. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, it's, it's male or female either. And notice what the original language says. It's really kind of humorous, really, in the, in the Hebrew. It is better to live in a wilderness. And if you remember last week, the word better, we use the word, the, the, the phrase matov. You hear it in Israel all the time. You go, ah, oh, matov, matov. It means it is good, it is well, the sunrise. Oh, matov, it's beautiful, everything's wonderful. And he's saying, matov, it's matov to live in the desert than with a cranky woman. And the word quarrelsome there is the word contentious or strife. The word fretful woman can be translated angry, vexing, frustrating, and grieving. In other words, when you're like that, male or female, 
you're hard to live with. Have you ever known somebody that whenever they walk in the room, tension rises? And everybody walks on eggshells because you don't know what's going to set them off. And then they exit the room and everybody exhales because tension blew with them. Are you that person? You walk in a room, do people feel that way about you? Walk on eggshells, I don't want them to blow up. I've had children tell me in church, Pastor, I don't like it when daddy's home. I don't like it when mommy's home. That's a sad indictment, you know, from your kids. Because you can't control your anger. I've had spouses say, I don't like it when my wife's home or my husband's home. Just to be honest, Pastor, things are a lot more peaceful when they're gone. I've heard that many times. Because your anger makes you hard to live with. Number eight, anger costs you friendships. Chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Look what they say. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Don't make friendships with somebody given to anger and go with. The word go with there literally means to feed, graze, pasture land. Don't eat, go eat with somebody who's angry. Wrathful. There's that word hema again. Rage boiling lest you learn their ways and you become like them. The word ensnare that's used there is a fishing term. It means to bait a hook, catch something. In other words, you act like people you're around. So don't go with them. You act like people that you're around. Maybe this morning anger has cost you some friendships. Maybe you know you have a friend, y'all were friends, you said something, they said something, one of you blew up. You don't talk. It's Proverbs true. Cost friendships. Number nine, anger leaves you vulnerable. Chapter 25, verse 28. Look at verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Back in biblical days, there were, the cities would have a wall around it and have a gate to enter. And they would have, some of them had two walls, three walls. The more walls you put around your city, the harder it was for an invading army to just march right in and capture your city. If they came to a wall, they would either have to scale the wall, you, you, could, you could defend yourself. But if, the, if your city was, had no walls and they were broken, you were vulnerable and the enemy could march right in and take you. What a powerful proverb. If you can't control your temper, you are a city that there has no walls. They've been broken. The gates are down. And your enemy, the devil, comes right in and does exactly what he wants to with you. 
Folks, whenever you are out of control, angry, the devil can do what he wants. You're a broken down city and your enemy marches right in. And number 10, the last one. Anger causes you to sin. Chapter 29, verse 22. Look at verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Transgression, it's used there, Pesca, is one of the main words for sin in the Old Testament. A man of wrath given to that hema, again, the boiling, the raging, the hot sun, furious causes a lot of sin and the folks here's the bottom line losing your temper is sinful and every time you're mad you don't act godly it's bottom line proverbs a lot to say about your anger frederick beekner um was a was a, one of the best authors of the last 60 years. He wrote 39 books, most of them novels. Here's a picture of Frederick Buechner. He's also a theologian. He was a pastor, um, taught at Summit Princeton in the Ivy League schools, the divinity schools up there. He was the head of the Bible department at Phillips Exeter Academy in Exeter, New Hampshire for many years. Listen to what he said about anger in one of his books. The name of the book is Wishful Thinking Transformed by Thorns. Listen to what Beekner says, quote, Of all the sins, anger is probably the most fun in the moment. Something happens, you start to boil and you start to lick your wounds and you smack your lips because you know what's coming. And it's going to feel so good to let it out. And you savor every morsel of bitterness of just letting everybody know how you feel and you go into a rage and it tastes so good it's like a feast feast for a king but he writes the only problem is you are wolfing down yourself and the skeleton left behind at the feast is you. I mentioned a moment ago that I had a terrible temper growing up. You know how I got rid of it? I was 19. I'd been called to ministry. And I said, Lord, I'm recommitting my life to you. I want to I live for you the best I can. I've not really lived for you the best I can. I'm give you my, give you my best. And God, I want to be a good minister. I really do. But I've got this terrible temper I can't control. And you've got to take it away. Lord, I can't storm into the church and scream at everybody. You can't curse out my deacons. God, I can't do that. You've got to take this away. And you know what? He did. At 19, it stopped. Was it me? No, I couldn't control it before. Here's what I did. 
I asked God to take it away, and I was willing to let him do it. Some of you, you kind of like the rages. You feel so good afterwards until the regret hits. But if you're really genuinely willing to let him have it, give it to him, it'll leave. And my life has been so much better since. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for giving us so many verses about our temper. Lord, I, I want to thank you for taking mine away. And Lord, it's nothing that I did. It's something that you did, and so I thank you for that. Father, I, I pray for those in our congregation like me. They, they need to come to the point of asking you to take it away and then being willing to let you do it. And I pray today will be the day some of them do that. God, others today, they've never, they've never prayed to receive Jesus as Savior. And that's what changes lives. That's what causes eternity to be different. And Lord, I, I know there are those here today, they need to do that. They need to pray to receive Christ. So Lord, during this invitation time, I, I pray that you would give us the courage that we need to make the decisions we need. In Jesus' name, amen.